Good morning, God bless you. Thank you, whoops, for the privilege of the preach. I'm a lifelong student. I love to learn. I, I thoroughly enjoy researching. So if you'd indulge me, I'd, I'd like to just start with a few quick survey questions. How many of you would prefer to watch cement dry than watch another five minutes of Olympic curling? <laughs> All right, thank you. Hands up now, those of you who are inclined to lie on a tea tray and hurtle down an ice tunnel at 85 miles an hour head first. Okay, feet first. Okay. How many of you don't think it's a particularly intelligent thing to do with your life? How many think it's not a particularly intelligent thing to do with your life, but it looks like a lot of fun? <laughs> okay, thank you. That, that's very helpful. It, it was sort of what I presumed. I recently read a book titled uh, The Mystery of Christ, Robert Capon. And, and just in passing, he mentioned an illustration that I've been thinking about ever since. This Nerf ball is my life. Nerf, not nerd, as Spellcheck keeps trying to insist. Nerf ball. It's also your life. It's every life. Each of our lives, there's a certain softness, a receptivity. I know it's not in word, but there's an imprintability. And every one of us has a dent or two. Okay, more. Every one of us has been scuffed and scarred, mashed and marred. Some of it we've done to ourselves, and some of it's been done to us. There, there's, there's come a distortion to life as we know it. Our parents, our, our caregivers, they, they leave imprints on our lives, and some of them aren't good. Statistically, they say 94% of us are from dysfunctional homes. The other 6% of us are in denial. <laughs> Every one of us has woundings and scars from our upbringing. I have two younger brothers, Dave and Paul. Paul's the youngest. When he was about 13, he and dad were having a, a headbutt at the kitchen table. And in frustration, Paul blurted out, I didn't ask to be born. And, and just like that, Dad, Dad quipped, said, yeah, and if the, you had, the answer would have been no. <laughs> Dad wasn't being malicious. It was a joke. Paul is now 53 years old. I don't think he's still gotten over that wounding. He is yet to forgive my dad build a bridge, and get over it. That's left a, a deep imprint on my brother's soul. And at some point or another, 
if he's going to deal with that dent, he's got to forgive. Forgive because there are no perfect parents. The love that we long for, the love that we need, the perfect love, the perfect nurture, the perfect care, no one of us received from our parents. There's a rather strange verse in Matthew 23, verse 9, that really only makes sense in this context. Jesus says, Call no man father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. There will always be a distortion so long as we expect perfect love from our parents. They cannot give it to us. Only our Heavenly Father can. But it's not just our family of origin that leaves imprint on our lives. In junior high, I was beat up nearly every single day. I, I hated recess. I dreaded lunch. And the beatings didn't stop until the day that I beat up my best friend, Rusty. And then he was the bottom of the pecking order, and he got the thrash. All of that, the fat lips, the bruises, the knots on my head, they healed over time, but the, the woundings to my soul, my self-image, the scars of my self-understanding, they took quite a bit longer to sort. And in the meantime, along came love, love that sadly wasn't always reciprocated, love that didn't always last. And uh, that means that then there are dumpers and dumpies, and, and by and large, I was the, the dumpy. And that's left imprints. And so it goes for each and every one of us. All in, it's really quite remarkable that any one of us function quite as well as we do. <laughs> That's the, the sad, sorry news. Now the good news. The good news in Jesus Christ. He did not come to judge, but to save. God doesn't look at our lives and say, you are a right mess, aren't you? No, he knows. He knows precisely what has wounded us, what's brought distortion. He knows the scars that we carry. And he purposes to restore all things. 1,700 years ago, one of the church fathers, Athanasius, said of Christ, He became what we are that we might become as He is. Think of the deliverance of the most demonized man in the Bible. He's so tormented that his demons have demons. He lives in a cemetery. That's the only place he feels at home, surrounded by death. He's a serial self-harmer. 
and he is out of his mind. He believes his name is Legion. It's a semi-technical nickname. A legion was a unit of 6,000 men in the Roman army. And in Mark's account, chapter 5, verse 13, all those demons are cast into a herd of swine. Mark says about 2,000 pigs. Legion's demons, 6,000 of them, into 2,000 pigs. And they charge over a cliff and into a lake and they drown. You do the maths, that's, that's three demons per pig on average. And that's enough to drive a pig to destruction. Which is one way of saying that Legion was a seriously tormented individual. Until he met Jesus. Because the peace within Jesus was so much greater than the torment that was in Legion. And the story ends with ex-Legion clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and in his right mind. He's socialized. He's teachable. And he's at peace with himself. He is restored. Nearly 500 years ago, the great reformer John Calvin called this restorative work the wondrous exchange. He said that out of Christ's boundless goodness, by becoming son of man with us, he made us sons of God with him. By his descent to earth, he prepared an ascent to heaven for us. By taking on our mortality, He's conferred on us his immortality. And accepting our weakness, he's strengthened us with his power. Receiving our poverty unto himself, he's transferred his wealth to us. And taking the weight of our iniquity upon himself, he's clothed us with his righteousness. About 250 years ago in recounting the testimonies he'd seen and heard the Welsh revival preacher Daniel Rowland called this restorative work the divine exchange. He said gone was unbelief. Gone guilt. Gone fear. Gone a timid, cowardly spirit. A lack of love, envy, suspicion, together with all of the poisonous worms that tormented us before, and in their place came love and faith and hope. A joyful spirit with the glorious multitudes of the graces of the Holy Spirit. That's the restorative work of grace that God purposes for our lives. This wondrous divine exchange, the purpose for Christ's coming. In Luke 19.10, Jesus himself said the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Sozo, the Greek word that's translated here, to save. It's a big, fluid term. It is translated to save time and again. It's also translated to heal, to make whole, to restore. And, And note, just in passing, 
Jesus say, said he came to save what was lost, not the lost. God purposes in Jesus cosmic redemption. The redemption and the restoration of all of creation, not just our souls. All that's been mashed and marred by sin, Jesus purposes to restore and to redeem. Now the promise of restoration is prophesied throughout the Scriptures. Jeremiah 33, 11, God says, I shall restore. Amen. Verse 26, in my compassion I shall restore. Joel 2, 25, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. Zechariah 9, verse 12, O prisoners of hope, even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Double what was taken from you. That's the magnitude of the reparation the Lord purposes. Similarly, the testimony of restoration runs throughout the Scriptures. That wonderful declaration in Psalm 23. The Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Psalm 126, verse 1, when the Lord restored the, Zion, the fortunes of Zion, we were like people renewed in health. Our mouths were full of laughter. Our tongues sang aloud for joy. And throughout the Scripture, there's the heart's cry for restoration. Psalm 80, verse 3, the Lord of hosts, Restore us. Make your face to shine upon us that we might be saved. The million dollar question. Ow. In my late teens, I had a buddy named Doug Hill. And the last year of high school, he earned a squash scholarship to Yale University. And that summer, he played so much squash that he separated his shoulder, and Yale didn't want him. Doug and I went to York University together, and he taught me how to play squash. The first year, we would step into the court with our rackets and a ball and two, pe two pieces of butcher twine. And he'd tie one piece around his waist, and then he'd get me to tie his elbow tight to his waist, his right arm, so that he could not use it. And then he would take a piece of twine, tie it around my waist, tie it around my elbow, I'm left-handed, left-handed, and he'd give me four inches. Now, I would played some tennis, so I was used to a full arm swing. In squash, it's all wristy, and Doug didn't like getting whacked in the head with my full arm swing, so I got clipped. And all the while, as Doug was teaching me, he was learning to play left-handedly. It was awkward. It was clumsy at first. But stroke by stroke, he was learning to play squash left-handed. All of his right-hand knowledge of squash, he was flipping over to his left. And he learned so well that by his third year, 
He was the number three seed at York varsity team. Now, neuroscientists would use Doug as a poster child for what they call brain plasticity. The ways in which the brain responds, the ways in which it reacts, ways it processes, the brain is malleable. We're not hardwired with an unchangeable circuitry. We, we can reformat the ways in which we process, like hand dominance. But back to my Nerf life. Nerf. There, there are two grips on this ball on my life. That there's mine and all that I'm trying to do in terms of managing the dents and the scuffs and the scars of life. In interesting aside, in Italian, the left is the, the sinistra, the sinister, the, the, the dark, distorted side. But there is also the Lord's hand upon my life. Jesus is holding my life as he holds all things together. Colossians 1.17. And, and, and in his grip, my life is no longer a mess. There, there's a graced resilience in his hand. A, a bounce back, if you will, to what I was made and meant to be. But before all of the denting and the distortion, the scuff and the scarring, a bounce back. Redemption, restoration, recreation. And that because his love is greater than the abuse. Now, these two grips, left and right, mine and Jesus's, they're going on at the same time. But I won't know the power of his grip unless I let go mine. This one, the, the denting one, my left, was the dominant hand in my life for almost 20 years. But since I gave my life to Jesus, I've been learning to let his hand be the dominant one in my life. Now, I still have some bozo moments when I think that I can hold my life a little bit better than he can and sort things a little more quickly than he. But I'm learning that all in Time and again, he has proven himself so much more than faithful and accomplishes immeasurably more than all I can ask or imagine. But I can see it on some of your faces. Some of you are still screaming, Ow. Again, good news. There's absolutely nothing for you to do. Nothing you can do. Except 
repent and believe the gospel. Repentance, a Greek word made of two Greek words pasted together. Meta, noia, meta, around, turn, noia, from noose, mind, change the way you think. Rescript, reformat, process things differently. The dents and the distortions, that's what's been done to you. The grip of grace, the Lord's hand upon your life, that's been what's done for you. And in Jesus, our release is secured. The Apostle Paul assures us of that in both Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. That's the good news. We're not alone in this. This transformation, this restoration, not an act of the will decision. It's not transformation through clenched teeth. I will be dent free. Jesus says a thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life in all its fullness, in its abundance. Each of us have something in our lives that's been stolen. We can each trace a measure of destruction in our histories. We each suffer something of that sickness unto death. That's the human condition without Jesus. But just as he restored the man with the withered arm, so Jesus purposes to restore that which was atrophied in us. To restore what's been fractured and scarred and broken and wounded and abused and rejected and dishonored. That's the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is upon you. Believe the good news. Right now, the Holy Spirit present with us, brooding over us, covering us, saving, healing, restoring, causing that, that miraculous bounce back time and again. Haven't you drug yourself here on a Sunday morning wondering why you're not still in bed? And through the course of the worship and the preaching of the Word, something of that bounce back has taken place such that you leave a completely different person. Hope restored. Peace. A joy. That's the grace bounce back of restoration. Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, that you hold my life in the grip of your grace.
Thank you, Lord, that you are healer, that you are restorer, that you are the the redeemer of all things. Thank you that you redeem my life. all that's been done to me. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for me. And that your love is so much the greater. Holy Spirit, Thank you for that work of grace that you purpose this day. Thank you for the strength that you bring to our mortal bodies. Thank you for the alignment that you bring Thank you that your love is greater than the pain. Thank you, Jesus, for resurrection life to this mortal frame. Even now, Lord, throughout the room, let the power of your love bring healing to our bodies. Lord, to souls and to spirits, so profoundly (coughs) hurt, disappointed, rejected, dishonored, abused. Holy Spirit, may there be such a revelation of your love and your grace. That there come A peace that passes understanding. And a joy that is unspeakable. And a freedom that releases us unto the fullness of life that you purpose for us. Lord, for tormented minds. Jesus, may your peace bring peace. Your light shining in the darkness. To those 
prisoners, locked away. Let there be hope. Lord, may the promise of your restoration be to them life. back up here for a moment. Some of you have realized this never before that in order to know the restoring, redeeming work of grace, you have to let go. But you have a fear of losing control. Of being out of control. Let, let me commend you. You've done a good job being in control. You've survived. The thing is, we weren't meant to just survive. You've had to be in control because you've concluded you're on your own and you were the only one that was going to meet your needs. If it wasn't you, your needs wouldn't get met. You are not on your own. You're not on your own and Jesus prop proposes not just that we survive but that we prosper. He purposes well-being. He purposes blessing. He purposes abundance. But in order to know that, we have to let go and allow His grace to restore. And when it comes to control, let me assure you, He does a brilliant job. Some here have never understood that there are two grips upon their life. They've only known this one. Right now, Jesus is holding your life. And, and wants to work restoring grace into your life. But he waits for you to ask. If you've never asked Jesus to work His grace into your life, please come see me. Come talk to Jamie. Talk to one of your neighbors. It's as simple as just asking. Jesus, I'm tired of trying to hold it all together. I want you to take over. We've sung about Jesus being Lord. That's what we're singing. That He's in control. And He does a brilliant job. Some of you, you'd like somebody to come alongside this morning, 
pray with you. Perhaps hear confession. There is something that is loosed when we make declaration that I've been living bozo for too long. I need to let go of this. Please, will you help me? Pray for me. Speak blessing. Ministry team, are they still over there, Jamie? Yeah. Going to ask. Come back. God bless.